I just I just realized how much conditioning that that is to be interviewed at a young age all the time like that to like this deference to authority knowing that you have someone you got to report to your whole life that you are not your own right well and, and it's a man every time yeah mm -hmm. every single time every single time every single time every single time every single time. oh every single that time. scene when dan is saying that prayer where he's like i'll go i'll do what you want me to do I'll, or whatever you know that that i got really scared because I had I have done that same prayer like there were a lot of moments in my life where I'm like you know just just freaking tell me what to do you know like yeah. I'll do whatever you want just tell me just you know give me something just let me know what it is I'll do it back in the day like in the 80s you know when there was the church program like 70s and 80s to to bring um you know American Indians from the reservation into Mormon homes like we oh, had yeah. two in our house like when I grew up to what um to to like exchange students or whatever like okay, i was just seeing know. if i could get you to say something inappropriate <laughs> <laughs> and anyway it was traumatic for me but it kind of underlines that that impulse that i think i've always had of like there there's boundaries here mm -hmm. like yeah. you can use that priesthood power that's cool but not here <laughs> or there so at the same time so i have to put myself in a in a tbm shoes and it, you know slippers Yes, that's a good point. <laughs> This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy in this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone so the recording is now in progress all y'all so all of you watched episode three of under the banner of heaven Yes. Correct. It did. Okay. So we're going to go through this. There are a lot of questions that I've got here. 11. And um, I'm really, I'm really excited to hear what you guys think of these things. So I'm going to start with the first one. I think this is an overall question for the entire series, not just for episode three, but it's, is the Mormon church a breeding ground for violent men? In other words, is belief in God dangerous? What do you guys think about this? What, I mean, like, what do you think the show's trying to say? And what do you guys think about it in general? To me, I think right off the bat, my first reaction is it can be. I feel mm -hmm. like when you're, this obviously is an extreme representation of how it can go south. Mm -hmm. But almost with any area that you zero in on, you could say, is this a breeding ground for fill in the blank? Yeah. Is this a breeding ground for love? Yeah. Sure. You know, like, so yeah. I don't know for me, do I think that we ignore the extremes? No, because that, you know, we miss, we have blind spots and we need to figure it out. So I think ultimately shining a light on the Mormon 
extreme part is helpful. Yeah. Okay. But exclusively, I don't know. No. <laughs> okay. Well, isn't the it wouldn't a follow-up question be, are there other religions that are a breeding ground for violent like I'm, I guess I'm thinking Christian religions. I, I should dump all, you know, pour all religions into that question. But all like when I think of like, you know, Baptists or any of those churches that I'm surrounded with, uh, like maybe not, maybe not from the church, but they certainly are. Uh, at least where I live, a lot of AK forty seven carrying guys in the streets, you know, from you know radical right wingism, mm. you know, which is I think a lot of it seems to be fed by uh, a lot, you know. The Christian side of things. When when you say fed by, do you mean kind of like the cause and effect? Like one thing comes first, and then the other thing comes well, after it. I that's a great question. To me, I, I think I, it's. I felt I think, like the the politics and the religion kind of the Christianity kind of merged some sometime at some point, like twenty years ago, and we're seeing the fruits of that. Christian. I could be I could be long. I could, it was I, during just, Ezra Taft Benson's reign. <laughs> yeah he tried to warn us but not getting into pride but did anybody listen no i think there's definitely a difference between the mormon church and a belief in god so um i don't think you can just say you know in other oh you words, don't think i can huh ren well i just i did. don't think you can huh? i think but i did you, you bent reality <laughs> the reality police are coming buddy yeah <laughs> um, but like the Mormon church uh, as an institution, this is, this is something I've been thinking about since you sent out this question, Glenn, like the Mormon church maintains its structure through the priesthood, right? Like explicitly priesthood power is the same as leadership authority in the church and priesthood power is not real. Um, there is no, you know, special powers that you can cause to happen with the priesthood so in order for men to display power or to feel like they are empowered i feel like they will will lash out violently um because they are in truth impotent right that's my my thoughts on it so so i'm i'm gathering that you say yes that mormonism is a, a breeding ground for violent men is that what yes. you're saying yes okay. i am yeah mm -hmm. how, how about a belief in god uh no not on like an individual level i don't think so like uh you know any individual person uh, their belief in god doesn't breed violence i don't think okay can it, let me let me give you my take real quick. Yeah. Because when you asked the question, Glenn, I was thinking about it <clears throat> yesterday. Like the things that came to my mind immediately were <clears throat> certainty and like a lack of empathy are the things that like that combination to mm. me are what lead to people willing to to take up arms against someone else. You know, like yeah. this absolute certainty that what I'm doing is right, and then an inability to look at someone else and say this person has their own individual worth or their own rights. And I can yeah. go take those away from someone else. That's so whether it's like religion or politics or 
you know, whatever high demand group you want to put that into. Uh, that's like, anyway, that's, that's what felt most true to me in that sense of what, what is leading to violence. Hmm. I just want to add really quick. Can I add, there's three ingredients that come to mind, kind of like what Kurt's saying, as I was milling it over in my mind, like I was thinking power, obedience, authority, Hmm. and just like other ingredients that make up the whole stew of Mormonism, having those three in there, it provides opportunity for some of that yeah to you know come out but what what do you think the the percentage or the ratio is of violent men coming out of mormonism versus nonviolent men coming out of mormonism i think it's probably like two or three percent are violent violent. yeah well, like physically violent or overall violent? Yeah, because now you have to define vi- define violence, right? There's so, a lot of variation there. So, so Ren thinks like two to three percent or something. Are you, are you are you saying like physically violent, Glenn? I just asking the just question violent. about violent. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to define it for you. I'm just curious to know what you guys think. Fifteen percent. Fifteen percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, you know, I think <clears throat> thinking back on the last episode, I, I don't, one of the things I wish I would have done is, is define violence a little better. Mm. Um, because I felt like we were, the, you know, just made a comment in the last one about her situation when they were talking down about a couple that had died, hadn't been sealed. Mm. And it was violence, I thought, against their reputations, maybe not against them physically obviously didn't do anything but it was against their reputations and who people in their minds thought of them um and i don't i i think we've given violence a very wide definition and i think it 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 comes down to harm whether psychological harm physical harm you know all the harms that there are um to me is violence and Mm -hmm. i think yeah, the church has a lot of, has, or the Mormon church has, uh, I think it's kind of in its DNA, like all the way from the very beginning when Nephi cuts off Laban's head and says it's okay to, you know, kill someone as long as it's, there's a more important thing behind it. And that's the stories we were raised with, like Ammon cutting off the arms of all the men that were trying to fight, you know, on and on and on. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, I think there's something to, to that. So, so what percentage would you give then, Reed? I don't know. I would say, I would say higher. I'd say like thirty percent, if okay. if because I'm broadening the definition of of harm. You know. Mm. Yeah. Okay. What do you think, Kurt? Well, so in the in the Radio West interview that we listened to for the last episode, Dustin Lance Black, you know. Doug Fabrizio asked him about this, about the violence issue. And like Utah in general doesn't have a higher rate of domestic abuse or violence, or it's like the 13th lowest or something like that. 16th lowest. I can't remember. And Dustin Lance Black brought up the idea that, yeah, that may be true, but also a lot of that probably goes unreported because like him himself was, was physically abused by his dad. And like, they didn't go to the cops. They went to the Bishop and talked about it. Um, that being said, like, 
obviously violence gets underreported, not just within, within Mormonism, but elsewhere also. And to answer your question, as far as like what I think, I, f- I feel like um, it's probably better than it used to be, but overall it's, it's still probably pretty dang high. 21 and a half percent, 21 and a half percent. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Wow. I like that half. Do you think that Chris Rock was violent to Jada Pinkett Smith when he made that joke about alopecia? Yes. I think it's a form of violence. It's a form of violence. If you start thinking about violence in the terms of just uh, cruelty discount, you know, like some of those conditions that you said before, I think Kurt, you talked about certainty and a lack of empathy kind of contributing to violence towards another person. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, re- I really don't want to stay here too, for too long, but <laughs> uh, just, just interesting ideas. Let, let's move on to the next one. Um, because Jeb's mom, who's suffering from dementia, keeps taking up uh, screen time. And I'm asking myself why. Like, why? Because Jeb is a fictional character. His family is a fictional family. The the mother is a fictional mother and her condition having dementia. Why why create that? Why build that into a show? What what value does it have? Or or is it significant to any of you? I had the same hunch that it's a plot device, that there's some way that that will be filtered in, whether it's with Jeb's faith crisis or whatever he's trying to, you know, figure out within himself, but then see his mom who still holds on to a lot of these ideas. I don't know, seeing the function in her life. I don't know. I haven't thought about it too much, but. Yeah, so so, so you're saying that like th- this, this mind that is not all there still will mm-hmm. kind of cling to certain beliefs and thoughts and and things that might come out at inappropriate, awkward times, um, just as a way of highlighting some of these weird Mormon beliefs. Yeah. Well, I mean, with dementia, I have family members that have had that and it's Mm. really, you know, sitting and having a conversation, depending on where they're at, um, with what they're dealing with memories and things that are deeply rooted in there come out out of nowhere. Mm. And there is something I know from sitting with other family members, there's something really comforting about the fact that they remember certain things Mm. um, that feel nostalgia or like feel nostalgic or comfortable. So I don't know if that relationship he has with his mom would somehow, I don't know. (laughs) I'll, I'll tell you what, like, what I've thought about it. Cause I thought the same thing, Glenn, as I'm watching the show, like all of Jeb's whole life and existence is, you know, a fiction like we've talked about, but specifically the mom and then him talking about his mom to his Bishop when he's also talking about a faith crisis and stuff. And, and his Bishop said uh, something along the lines of it's unlawful to accelerate the end of a human life. Yeah which is like what this whole show is about, right? Is like choosing (laughs) when God or like acting in on behalf of God to end someone's life, Mm. accelerate someone's life. Yeah. And the Bishop was like, well, you can't do that obviously. But in reality, like, like Reed said just a minute ago, the church is replete with stories of people accelerating the end of someone else's life. If God deems it appropriate. And then like, we probably don't want to get into the whole euthanasia piece but 
that's like a hobby horse of mine. I, I'm I'm happy to talk about youth anywhere, whether it's Asia or Europe or <laughs> oh. <I> mean, <laughs> <laughs> the dad jokes are free. Thanks, Glenn. Oh, Thanks, Glenn. Yeah. I love joking about euthanasia too, Glenn. I know. <laughs> I know. They're not the same as they were in my day. Um, let me just add to this. The, I thought that Jeb's mom was a device to kind of one humanize Jeb because he has this kind of, you know, it makes him this caring individual. Who's, you know, so you can so you can gather some sympathy around Jeb, but also touching on what Kurt just said, I think it's showing some of the aspects of the religion like when she gets lost on the on the bus or the bus driver brings her back and he's and they're like how did you know and i i saw him at church you know and showing how close-knit the community is and how everyone's there together and that's honestly was the best part of moment this community aspect where everyone kind of knew everyone and they saw each other at church and there was this trust that you had you know so yeah do you have any thoughts on it ren uh, I really like what Reed just said about how it uh, kind of displayed the power of the community within the church. And I have said that exact same thing in the past. Like I, like my car broke down. I called my home teacher who was able to get a jump and like take into a shop and like, boy, I'm so glad I had the church to, to help me with that. So yeah. I, yeah. What, what, have any what of you guys, think, uh, well, I, I, kind of what I steered just to think <laughs> that, that it's, it, it kind of shows the impact of Mormonism on a human mind. And when that human mind is deteriorating and you see like little bits and pieces of that Mormonism that's still there, that kind of like shows up at odd times and odd places. Um, it, it, it's an interesting lens through which to filter the Mormon culture and, and kind of see it in different ways. I, I don't know if any of you have, uh, watched any of episode four, which, which dropped earlier today. No. Um, I, I didn't finish it, but I started it. And there's a, there is a scene where the, the, the dementia mom is saying something like, uh, if the Jews don't, uh, accept Jesus, then they'll end up in the celestial kingdom, like, or with Hitler. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> and, and, and then Jeb's wife is like, look, we've told you not to say things like that because it's hard on the girls, you know, or whatever. And it's like, yeah. so she's, she's saying this inappropriate thing because she has dementia and she doesn't realize that there's an appropriate place to reflect those kinds of beliefs that are part, that are part of the fabric of Mormonism. So it's, it's so that having this character, is kind of a, a, a device for the show writers to shove a little bit of the silly Mormonism in the face of viewers <laughs> a little bit to highlight certain things like, wait, do Mormons really believe that about Jews and Hitler? And what is a celestial kingdom? And that sort of thing. So that, that's what I think, Kurt. Well, I always have weird tidbits of Mormonism coming up in my life at the yeah. most unexpected random times, just like dementia mom, if that's what we're calling her. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Tidbits and bid tits. Okay. <laughs> Number three, latter days, dark skinned Lamanites will blossom like a rose. This was, this was said at one point by one of the fundy Lafferty's. Um, did, did you guys come across this? Was this part of your upbringing in Mormonism that uh, the, the dark skinned Lamanites will blossom like a, a rose? 
it, it was part of like the whole end times thing that I was really fascinated with. Like I, I would go through Mormon doctrine and look at like signs of the times and end times. Like I would read all those entries and I think signs of the times had like 51 signs and I'd go through and I'm like, yeah. yep, that one's done. Yep. That one's done. Yep. <laughs> that that, oh, this one's still to come. To <laughs> oh my God. I loved it. I loved it. And so then I just always had an eye towards like a oh, winner. The lost tribe's going to come back. Winter, the Lamanite's going to blossom like a rose. Um, and I'm like, we're so close, you guys, because Bruce R. McConkie said there was like 51 and like 43 of them. Have I, so we're almost there. Yeah, it was <laughs> you have I, like a paper chain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can just create one for the, 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 the remaining signs that need to come. But, but how about you guys? Did, did, did that? Um, uh, and also just one more thing about it. When, <laughs> When uh, Native Americans started <laughs> having their casinos in Arizona and Utah, I went, oh, see, there's a fulfillment of this prophecy. That's <laughs> how they're going to do it. That's how they're going to blossom like a rose. And then the other, the other part of that was that they would rise up like a lion and uh, destroy the Gentiles. Uh, like the like lions among the lambs or something oh, like that. I've never heard the the lions part of Has that. Has that happened mm. yet? I well, no, it's part of the casino. That, in, <laughs> in my mind, it was because it's like yeah, they're working the, on it. The wicked gamblers, they're going to get theirs, and that's going to feed the the Lamanites coming back like a rose. And look, Would, it's all that happening. Be incredible if if there was a casino called like Blossom Like a Rose. Yeah, oh, it like, should be. There probably is. <laughs> you know, we had we had a. Uh, Back in the day, like in the 80s, you know, when there was the church program, like 70s and 80s, to, to bring, um, you know, American Indians from the reservation into Mormon homes. Like we oh, had yeah. two in our house, like when I grew up. Two what? Um, two, two, like exchange students or whatever. Like okay, I was just seeing know. if I could get you to say something inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, like, I, it was so odd, like thinking back on it now as, as um, you know, like as like going through the church everything like looking back on it it's so weird to think on it now like one of them ran away it was really traumatic for her i'm positive like she it was it was not a good situation yeah um and yeah it makes me uh, yeah it, it puts a pin in my stomach a little bit thinking back about it um but like here's my question when i was thinking specifically about the the blossom like a rose piece How, did you did you guys believe that piece of it like that they like that dark skin was a curse and everything i'm trying to think back to my beliefs you know 20 years ago or whatever on my mission or, or before i'm curious your take everyone here yeah the with regards to like the the prophecy side of this of like the lamanites blossom like a rose like the the skin tone element was never like brought up in that prophecy in my family but i definitely was taught that dark skin was a curse right yeah. like that that was definitely was taught to me when i was very little um in like family home evening lessons um and uh <laughs> i i don't like as a kid it's hard to remember like what you believed as a kid i mean i must have believed it because my dad said it right as a kid yeah but uh one of my my oldest sister actually adopted uh, um, some black kids and um, uh, and all of a sudden when that happened like none of that talk ever happened ever again <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was like 
It's like, ooh. Here's from the perspective of a semi-convert since I was in the church and then wasn't for a big chunk of time. Coming back to church as a teenager, I think there's something in the air, this awareness that there's weird stuff and you just don't go there when you talk about things because nobody really brought it up to me you know, or really went in depth about, you know, dark skin curse or, you know, prophecies of what would happen because I feel like it was breaching on that territory of like too weird. (laughs) So I, of course I absorbed it because I pay attention to, you know, little things and I'd be like, why, what? And, but it, it was never something that anyone ever sat down and like told me or talked to me about. I'm, uh, so where I grew up, there was a lot of uh, Indian reservations all around us. In fact, where I lived, it was it was either Department of Energy land or Indian reservation around us. Like there was no expansion, and um, so we would go. So in that community, this is north northern New Mexico. There was a very strong kind of Indian feel to it especially up in Taos where the Pueblo is. And we had members that were Indians and, and out of that came a lot of urban legends with uh, like the three Nephites. And um, it was, you know, there was these stories that would circulate around about the three Nephites from the Indian uh, folks in, in the Pueblo. And um, so it was like, you know, it was, we were surrounded. I never heard anything about dark skin. There was, that wasn't a thing in terms of that was part of blossoming like a rose. The, they were certainly, you know, Native Americans were very looked upon as very noble though, because of that kind of the myth of the Lamanites, you know, that yeah. they were Lamanites and that's where they descended from. And so, yeah. My, my grandma had a, a, a Mexican worker that would come in house cleaner or something like that once a week that she called her Lamanite lady up until she died in like the mid nineties, you know, mm. I mean, it's just like, Oh, my, my, my Lamanite. And she would say it with like a smile. She loved it. She loved that She had this Lamanite person and she would kind of say it as like, look, I'm not racist. I've got a Lamanite person to cleaning up for me. <laughs> would she you know? say that to her? Like, did she know that she was the Lamanite? I was never around when oh. she had her Lamanite person there. So I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Interesting. Probably not. Maybe. Probably not. Yeah. All right. So how about that temple scene? <laughs> oh, man. It was kind of like an out-of-body experience watching that. <laughs> did, did, you, did you guys <laughs> ever watch Big Love? Did you see the, the temple scene depicted in Big Love? No. No? Yes, so, I thought this was more accurate. Yeah. More, more accurate than Big Love? Mm-hmm. I, I mean... I, I don't it, remember. It looked too much. just like a temple. Like, yeah, yeah, they did a good job with the set. The set was good. Yeah, this one was farther back in time, so obviously I was not familiar with the verbiage and everything being mm-hmm. different. But the way it feels, the way it looks, yeah. the way you know it sounds is very—I thought was pretty spot on. Yeah, I, I haven't really been paying attention to people's responses to it, but have you guys seen? Like how, how are our TBMs or yeah, like, how are people generally responding to this? I read a thread that said, like, if you're, if you're a TBM, you can't, can't admit that you watch this, right? Yeah. Cause it's like, 
it's like got uh boobs so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're right. off limits yeah the the whole argument too that if you've left then you've forfeited your right to talk about any of this stuff which mm. to me is baloney because we've invested just as much time up until and tithing money and all of that towards you know it being a part of us yeah. and our lived experience so I mean, I do think there's something to be said about talking about things respectfully and, you know, doing it with purpose or intent instead of just vomiting stuff. What do you think this is? I think this, okay. I thought of the Renee Brown quote that she talks about how shame is born out of secrecy and the minute it hits light, it. I don't know. What does she say? Blossoms like a rose. (laughs) Blossoms like a rose, something like that. But it just, to me, it feels kind of revealing in a let the light hit it kind of way where I know it's not for everybody. It's not going to be received the same, you know, obviously by someone that holds more of the belief and then, you know, has spent more time out of it. But I have heard a lot of reactions on both sides and the thing overwhelming, overwhelmingly, on the pro side of it is just how necessary it feels to have validation. And this is what happens. See, like, I'm not crazy. <laughs> like, this is what it looks like. Well, um, absolutely. Like the ability to take back the things that were um, almost like held over your head, as far as like, this is what you can and cannot do to be able to own those things. And for me to be able to choose what I want to talk about or not talk about or share is empowering to me. So like, if I want to talk about the temple with someone, I can talk about the temple with someone or any of those things. Like I get to own what I want to talk about and not want to talk about. And to have like someone else say that you should or shouldn't do that feels, I don't know. It feels exactly like it was in the church, which is, which is overstepping your bounds on, on what's okay for other people to, to experience and how, and how they experience those things. Well, anytime there's sacred over, you know, secret, anytime there's secrets that are dressed up as being sacred, you know, which I have no problem respecting because we all have those in one way or another. But in this aspect, I think, yeah, it's just kind of asking for just like we were saying with the the violence, it kind of has an ingredient there to have shame kind of grow and, and having it exposed feels therapeutic, I think, to a lot of people. Coming back to Glenn's question of whether we've seen anything about it, I've definitely seen some things about it not being good or, you know, acceptable. It's never acceptable to expose, you know, a very sacred, you know, ceremony to the world that you, you know, so this, what you just said, Jessica, you know, that, that was kind of in terms of being it sacred and, um, but at the same time, so I have to put myself in a, in a TBM shoes and, it, you know slippers slippers that's a good point <laughs> white slippers um and is there anything in my life that's sacred that i wouldn't want anyone just showing you know exposing to the world like in terms of my belief system or i don't know and i had a hard time coming up with anything that was yeah. like i this is so sacred you can never you know and it, like the way that you feel now isn't the more sacred something is the more you want to share it with others yeah. without ex- you know like right excluding them from it i think it's sacred because it's weird 
right? They don't, it's, and it's secret because it's weird. It looks weird. You saw the hats, you saw, you know, she's getting touched, you know, all over the, the, the way they were kind of showing the fact that it was awkward for her to be, have her be a, um, have be a, what's it called? Were they initiatory? Yeah, the initiatory. Um, it, like, I think that's why it's sacred because it's like, I don't want the world to see this. I would be so embarrassed if, you know, people saw exactly what happened in the temple. Because the first time I went to that temple, I was like, what is going on here? You know, what church hey, What was the want? horn? Did you, you see the horn? have a horn when you went there? There was, <laughs> no. It's I called did. like the devil's horn or something? No, it's, For uh, real? It's, it's broken uh, off it's of a from, Mormon. It's from the Old Testament. Uh, there's a verse about when... Uh, was is going to go ordain um uh daniel uh to be a prophet or something he says the lord tells him to fill his horn with oil and then go out to the sheep or sheep herders and it's yeah it's a verse from the old testament it's a thing okay yeah. they still do this glenn i just have never a, seen it in the yeah, temple you, I went, horn, you were you went through back before 1990 right i went through three months after they changed the uh, uh mm. penalties so i i never directly experienced the penalty and even now i'm not quite sure what you guys are talking about with the horn i didn't i didn't pick up on it when you go through the initiatory like i've i've seen this i don't think it's like oh. always but like some of the some of the temples like they have like a sheep storm or ram's horn or whatever oh. and that's like what the oil is in or whatever i i never did the initiatories after the first time again really like I, I i never went through and did initiatories for the dead you know like if i if i would go through you know because i would go through temple sessions but i would just i i i, I didn't want to go through that again i, I like initiatories like yeah I did too yeah i would rather do that than the in the session yeah. just because I, it's quick I, yeah it's, it's exactly <laughs> what i was gonna say i liked it because it was you could do it in like 40 minutes if you yeah. know. i think i liked it because it was a one-on-one -on -one thing and they were mm. always really nice and you felt like you were doing like you could have their approval right there with you like, oh. <laughs> good job nice cool i never went through any sessions with a live person like it was mm. very uh -huh. weird to like the feeling was very different with like a live person on the show banner under under the banner of heaven with like the live guy like giving the lecture like i feel like when it's over an intercom you can just safely ignore whatever's being said you know just kind yeah. of mm -hmm. yep. you guys one time one time i went to a live session at the salt lake temple and there's like the 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 dude who was doing the session at the front was like 130 years old you know this guy <laughs> was one foot in the grave and every time he would stand up, you know, you're like standing up and sitting there all the time. Every time, I kid you not, every time he would stand up, he would fart. Like as, <laughs> <laughs> as he was standing up and like, it took everything I had not to just like bust out laughing. The entire time. <laughs> good. I thought they were talking a little too loud in there, those ladies. Yeah, they, yeah that show. was uncomfortable. Like that would yeah. never happen. <laughs> They're giving you the stink eye. Right. <laughs> Stop. So, so glad I'm curious and in the fourth episode did they show dan lafferty in the temple doing because he was supposedly a wasn't he a, uh, one of the satan characters oh really yeah i don't I know. remember that in the book but it might have been a different um, i i i haven't finished episode four so there might be but i haven't seen that yet okay did you notice uh, like matilda in the background um when they were making all the signs and she was like Doing it really lazily, like oh, whatever. No. Like, 
<laughs> it was really great. I really like yeah. that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that temple scene. All right. How about blood atonement? Blood, blood, blood atonement is a, a main theme of this show, and it's kind of they're they're presenting it as as the undermining of Andrew Garfield's testimony as he's learning about blood atonement, and blood atonement becomes the way that the Lafferty's are justifying what they they end up doing. Um, and and really the, the only reason, the main reason that I want to bring up Blood Atonement to have a quick conversation about it is so that I can um, put as an extended Easter egg on this episode, <laughs> the, the, the Brigham Young text from Journal of Discourses where yeah. he says that if you love someone, <laughs> what Jesus really meant was you kill them if they're bad. <laughs> I, I read that whole I read that whole piece in preparation for this tonight. And it's oh, did like, you? I well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I read yes, most of it. And it's like I had read it before, but it is mind blowing. Yeah, a handful of the things the that line. he says, and if you put it in here, like it's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah this is the way to love mankind. Is yeah. what he says. This yeah. is the way. I I did not learn about blood atonement until I was thirty years old. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was like, what the fuck? <laughs> when I was That's a kid, crazy. I remember my parents teaching that in Utah, they had the, the death penalty could be done using guns to shed people's blood because that's part of the atonement process. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. You really? heard it too, Jess? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, Tanner told me that that's the thing <laughs> so and i think that the whole point of the temple scene is to show this the slitting of the throats because that's yeah. important to the story okay yeah but and that's a thing too because i have a couple friends that are reading the book right now as they're watching it um and i don't think many people made the connection or knew enough about it just mainstream mormons that there was you know blood atonement was such a, a main component of the murder <laughs> mm, yeah. So I think that maybe is 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 relevant too, just to see motivation um, that it's connected historically. Yeah. Well, if you have someone who you believe is speaking for God on behalf of God, like Brigham Young, a prophet, and that you believe in the words he says, and then and then you have the Spirit fill you with, this is a true prophecy, and this is something I need to go do. Like, it's understandable why someone would take those two things and do what they did like i mean I, I don't condone it in the slightest but i can see how that how that line of reasoning led to the conclusion that you know the lafferty brothers came to like yeah in an insane like, mind right well yeah like that's what i was gonna say because like in the soup of mormonism with all the different things that people value is there something about lafferty's that values obedience more you know or holds that up higher or authority you know like which you know how are we measuring which things are most important to live by right or which things to obey and which things to reject Right. And, and depending on your environment and the yeah. things around you that are informing what's important or not, then you can take those things in very different directions, I guess. Yeah. Have you guys ever heard of uh, this like philosopher guy? His name's Slavoj Žižek. No, yeah. but I'd like to hear you say that again. Yeah, Slavoj Žižek. All right. Okay. Um, anyway, he has this thing where he talks about how 
you know, often a criticism of people who, you know, stop believing in God or, or leave religion is that, you know, without God, without religion, uh, there's no like moral authority and you're free to do whatever you want. And, and your, you know, human uh, instincts are going to uh, override your more like refined instincts and you're going to sin like crazy, you know, maybe even murder. But he like, kind of flips that on his head and says, you know, if you really believe that you are an instrument of God, then you can do anything you want to do because everything you do is then moral, right? Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, but that, that's always, that's always presented with such like menace. Like, like, so if you believe in God, you can do anything that you want. You've got carte blanche to do anything that you want to do. Well, what if you want to do is like raise everybody's sense of love for themselves and compassion well, and well, acceptance? Yeah, but... Is that a bad thing and like a menacing thing? Like we should have, we should avoid thinking that you're speaking for God, you know, like that, that's anyway. Yeah. But I mean, that's, <laughs> this is a menacing show. We're talking about people who believed that they were God's instrument murdering people yeah but it's a it's 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 their own like mental illness that's the source of it that's the the creation of it and then like what whatever culture they're in like if if they were catholic they would have come up with catholic justifications for why their insanity should be what it is or you know like any other thing i don't i don't don't think that it's the glenn are you saying that the lafferty's were insane yes absolutely i think that was part of the for me what the book pointed out was the fact that they were trying them trying to get them to be um you know have guilty by insanity or you know that was and yeah. they, they went on to prove through you know what they were that well i we all believe this stuff that they believe so we're no different they, they're not insane yeah. i mean how are you going to define insane? I'll say mental ill, mentally ill, um, like severely mentally ill, especially the way that they're being depicted in this show where, you know, Dan Lafferty is doing the, I will go and do, I will go and do, yeah. and I will go and do And Lord, I hear, you know, like that, yeah, that's in, just mental illness. In the background, you got Ron, who's not being portrayed at all as mentally ill. Yeah. Like wait Ron till episode four. Been, oh, all right. <laughs> oh. Start, well, start to crack under the pressure. Well, Sam is psycho <laughs> yeah is, the, is, is sam is that rory culkin yeah 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 he was he's lost it. yeah so, that was a little over the top the way he was screaming yeah stuff. yeah yeah like, oh. here here's my question that like i was thinking about as i was watching this as i was watching like that part you brought up glenn just barely about the like i will go and do like lord i'll do whatever you want me to do yeah i was thinking back to my very most believing self like probably on my mission yeah. And what is the craziest thing I would do if the prophet asked me to? Like, uh-huh. it's it's really uncomfortable for me to think about that uh-huh. and to like ask you all, like it, it, at your most believing stage, what would you have done if the prophet had asked you? And like, I don't know if I would have killed someone, but like I would have I would have offered up my own life for sure. Like I, I, I dreamed about doing that on my mission, like going down in a blaze of glory, you know, t- having my life taken in in service of some greater cause or something like that but like it makes me think how i don't know like brainwashed is maybe the right word maybe it's not but like how deep in it i was with doing whatever the prophet would want me to do if if he'd come and asked me or if i'd had a vision or something like that which you know visions are just they're 
synapses firing in your brain, like all this electrical signals and it, it can be manipulated. It's, it's scary to think back on now. I'm pretty proud of myself there because I remember specifically being like, Hey husband, you would never do this. if Like the prophet asked you to, right? You never kill somebody. And so I think there's definitely a part of me that was just like, I will never cross. these. <laughs> I, I had like a dream. I have lots of dreams. I have lots of visions guys, mm -hmm. but I had a dream. I remember specifically towards the end of me staying in the church where I remember going to a potluck and it was at someone's house and crowds were beginning to form in the back of the house. We were all taking notice and I, I start winding through the crowd and I see this gigantic hole in the back of the backyard, like a pit that just goes deep into the earth and people just were jumping into this pit. <laughs> wow. And I remember looking around just like, is anyone noticing how insane this is? <laughs> but nobody really was. And I just, I was trying to find my kids. And anyway, it was traumatic for me. But it kind of underlines that that impulse that I think I've always had of like, there, there's boundaries here. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. you can use that priesthood power. That's cool, but not here or there. So You're a better person than I. No, I yes. just what, figured what are, that out somehow sooner. I don't know. But. What are your thoughts, Glenn and Reed and Ren? On Jesse's like, like, dream. what would you have done? Or like, what would you have done? Like, what were your limits? Like, when you thought about that idea, oh, like, oh, that scene when Dan is saying that prayer, where he's like, "I'll go, I'll do what you want me to do," I'll, or whatever, you know, that that I got really scared because I had I have done that same prayer. Like, there were a lot of moments in my life where I'm like, you know, just just freaking tell me what to do. You know, like yeah. I'll do whatever you want. Just tell me, just, you know, give me something. Just let me know what it is. I'll do it. And like in a, in a very desperate, repetitive, like plea. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I think the fact that I'm here with all of you having this conversation means that I wouldn't have killed someone <laughs> if, the, if the prophet asked me to, I hope, I don't know. Yeah, so, I, I'm with you, Kurt. Like, I, I don't want to think about what I would have done. And, I, and that, that question came up as we were watching the show between my wife and I. Like, what if the prophet came in out and said, you got to kill your neighbor? You don't think there would be a bunch of people out there struggling with that question, like whether they should do it or not? To me, the answer is absolutely yes. You would have people that would struggle with it and wonder if it was the right thing to do because they're so obedient to you know to that authority and they absolutely worship it so when i was on my mission in the mtc i committed that I, you know i really wanted to have such a close relationship with the holy ghost that um there was really no division between like what I thought and what I was being prompted to do. I just wanted to be so wide open. And I just gave this prayer. I was on the bottom bunk in the MTC. I'm, I, Heavenly Father, I am just good. Any impulse that comes into my head, I'm just going to follow it. And I'm going to trust and I'm going to have faith. And this is my commitment to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And then I laid there. And in my head, I thought, all right, get up. I thought, okay, this is my first test. All right, I'm going to do it. 
So I got up and I'm like, okay, so I'm standing there and I'm like waiting for my next instruction. Go stand by the wall. So I went and stood by the wall and I'm like facing the wall. Like, well, all right, okay, I'm waiting for my next instruction. Quick, go ahead, what is it? And I just found myself standing there staring at the wall and I started laughing going, okay, all right, I get it. And I went back to bed and then that was, that was it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> that, that was <laughs> if, your Abrahamic I, test. If, yeah. If I, if I just <laughs> listen to my own voices in my head, I like, I know I'm a practical joker. I'm just gonna be playing jokes on myself all the time. Yeah, so um, yeah. So, but anyway, so that, that was my kind of big experiment into wanting to be faithful all the time. I, I don't know if the, prophet would have told me to do something if I would have done it if I if I didn't really feel like that was the right thing to do because I I always kind of put my own uh authority a little bit above others even as a kid so that's good yeah maybe they didn't think so at the time <laughs> I don't know that my mom would agree with that all right let's go to to Hans Mill and Joseph's surrender, because I loved this. I, I I loved the way that they showed Joseph Smith. You know, they they present this whole thing, and I I'm like, oh, they're they're about to say nits make lice. Watch, they're going to say nits make lice, mm -hmm. and they said, and I'm like, yeah, I know the stuff. Yeah, they're talking about my people here. But then after they showed the whole Hans Mill massacre, like, and what what was Joseph's response? Was he like, let's get an army and go fight these people? It's like, no, it was peace and it, it like he himself went and surrendered and i loved the way that they showed it yeah. and it made me think you know like for all of the shitty things that joseph did where you could look at him and go yeah this guy is a con man like i've seen enough con man shows <laughs> like um how many how many genuine con men would really turn themselves in at that point if all they were was a con man and yeah. so it, it kind of make, like made me question, like, why did he do that? Why would he do that? And I, I just thought he must have really loved these people. Like he must have really loved these people that he was willing to sacrifice himself to go and do not knowing beforehand what the Lord commanded <laughs> to do and really put that on the line, his, his body on the line, just so that those people who followed him would not be slaughtered like that again. And I, that was a nice reminder that he had that as part of his character as well. <laughs> I'm curious, I mean, like, what did you guys think? Go ahead, Kurt. Well, just like the reenactments, you brought this up last week, Lynn, like how young Joseph looks in the reenactments, you know, yeah. like him and Emma both. Um, I think that goes a long way to humanizing him a little bit more than even that you see like with the reenactments that the church does, honestly. Uh, to just be like, this was a guy, you know, who yeah. had thoughts and feelings and was really complicated and probably did a whole lot of shitty stuff, but then also probably had like genuine feelings of love for other people at the same time, you know, um, which that's what I took away most from, from that scene you're talking about. Yeah. I, I appreciated that the show portrayed that balance because I definitely see the show wanting to bring some of the uglier hidden aspects of Mormonism into the common, you know, like it, for, for people yeah. to see. Mm -hmm. um, but, but that they would balance that out also with something like this. I, I appreciate that. I agree. Yeah. 
and and then it led up to this uh triangle between joseph and brigham and emma which i just thought was was fascinating and and how it showed that there there was pressure that was put on joseph by brigham young and others to become uh more aggressive and they they talked about this you know like once he became more aggressive that gave birth to the first destroying angel uh, and showing Porter Rockwell killing Governor Boggs. Um, so time out here, Glenn, yeah. with all this gushing on Joseph. So have you, was that just gushing what I just did? How he turned did. to aggression? You were, you were gushing on, yeah. yeah. So uh, some of the things that I've been reading some, <laughs> because Hans Mills now in the news, a lot of people are trying to like point out, some of the other history surrounding Hans Mill. Okay. And one of them is the guy that shot the kid was kind of mentally ill. Mm-hmm. And, um, but right before that happened, they had marched him and Joseph was like involved with all this on a cannon. Have you guys heard this? No. Like they paraded him through the town tied to a cannon and they shot the cannon off completely humiliating that guy. Mm. And then they let him go supposedly. And then, you know, who, the, the point of the story was, who knows what would have happened if the Mormons hadn't done this kind of parading him through town and, and humiliation, you know, so showing that the Mormons were part of this as well. And Joseph was part of that. For he sure. Part, yeah. Part of the, the, the guy that, you know, they were parading through town. Joseph was right there, you know, not stopping it. So mm. I'm just saying that, yeah, they, they, the show didn't show that. They, you know, because they can't, they can't show every part of the history, but um, I think that's an important piece that's kind of missing there. The, the culpability of the Mormons for bringing that kind of persecution upon themselves. Right. Yeah, right. yeah for sure. Yeah, I was thinking that they were going to go more into like the Danites because yeah. you're mentioning like Porter Rockwell, like, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like there was a lot more time between like Hans Mill and uh, the assassination attempt and like a lot more, I don't know, uh, drama that could have been added to the show or explain like the whole formation of the Danites, because that's like basically yeah. what the Lafferty's are, right? Like modern day Danites, right. well, sort of. Yeah, self, self-appointed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, if, if you understand Mormon history, you know that there was the whole Liberty Jail time and Quincy, Illinois and bringing, you know, like creating Nauvoo and all that stuff before uh, the, the the Governor Boggs killing and the formation of the, the Danites. And, and they did show that there was a, a shift. And this is one of the things I liked about that power triangle between Brigham, Joseph, and Emma, because in a short amount of screen time, they were able to communicate that they're, that Joseph changed over time um, from being more of a pacifist to being more aggressive. And then and again, in, in episode four, they show him in his general's outfit with no explanation at all. He's just in it. <laughs> it's really interesting. I mean, I mean, they brought up in this episode how Joseph uh, ran for president, right? Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, wanted to become president, which I thought yeah. was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, I was I was I was reading about Porter Rockwell. Yeah, in his assassination temp, attempt of Governor Boggs. Yeah, he he fired seventeen shots at him with a with a flintlock pistol, mm. <clears throat> which um, 
How, how many chambers does I mean? Seventeen well, well, shots. I I looked. I looked, Glenn. It <laughs> like so. I think the one he had had four chambers. Jeez. But still, it takes you know it takes like quickly twenty seconds to reload each chamber. Yeah. To do it, and so to get off seventeen shots, and he hit him four times, but he didn't die. Like. Mm. Anyway, that was that was just an aside as I was researching this this episode. You got it, nailed it. Nice way to prepare, Kurt. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. All right, so the 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 other scene that I really really loved and just kind of stood out to me in this episode was the bishop's interview, mm. and and there were like three distinct uh, sections of that. There, there were the girls getting their baptismal interview there was um when jeb was talking about his mom and her dementia and wondering what to do and then there was when he was asking about blood atonement and being told to just keep things on the shelf and don't go digging um and and that first part with the girls was so gross to watch it was just really hard to watch because he he was so like friendly and oh yeah you're gonna have to pay tithing are you are you obedient good good it just showed the 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 brainwashing and the conditioning um oh that was hard and so on like so spot on Mm -hmm. oh it's on the nose that's i I mean even before the sam young stuff where Mm. he pushed to get you know parents in for those interviews have them be supervised (laughs) um i always was like no you know my daughter who was she was probably around the time when Sam Young stuff was coming out but that was just a given which it wasn't for everybody else it seemed like that was a very common thing but especially being in primary and serving in primary presidency and and talking about what those meetings would be like I for me I, I always had the comfort of the child at the forefront over the this is just how we do things so it always seemed so backwards to me that that wasn't considered before (laughs) i just i just realized how much conditioning that that is to be interviewed at a young age all the time like that to like this deference to authority knowing that you have someone you got to report to your whole life that you are not your own right well and and it's a man every time yeah Mm -hmm. every single time i remember going in with my daughter right as i was kind of losing it losing my you know faith and and i he asked she she was turning 12 and he said do you obey the do you obey the law of chastity and she didn't know what that meant she's like what's chastity and then it got really awkward between everyone because here's this man asking her about her chastity you know and she's 12 years old yeah and i'm just I was like, can't we just, I didn't say it, but I would just let the Bishop handle trying to explain what that meant. Cause I wasn't about to go yeah. there and I didn't have the courage to kind of. Yeah. That ain't up. nobody's business. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially an older man. That's a stranger. <laughs> so. But same icky feeling that, you know, in terms of what Glenn was saying about, yeah, it, it felt gross. But here's the thing too, because I would say that I've had some really amazing bishops at the same time where I felt maybe in comparison to not so great ones that they were really uh, kind and listening and, you know, respected boundaries and whatnot. I can honestly say, you know, from the experiences I've had that 
they are put in positions where they don't know, you know, and that part of the show where the bishop said, I'm not trained as a historian or fill in the blank and just saying, <laughs> this is what I was appointed as, you know, like, so I don't need to talk about this or explain whatever, like that. I feel for that in some capacity too, though, because they are just thrown in. Yeah. They're yeah. doing the best they can. Yeah. So. Yeah. He seemed like a really competent bishop in the show. Like I've, all of the bishop interactions I've had in, in real life um, are always awkward. So awkward because like, I'll try to like relate to them and be like, yeah, so this is what's been going on in my life. And then they're just like, just blank faces and like, yeah, well, okay, keep, keep paying your tithing. It's like, <laughs> all, right, all right. I just wondering what you thought about, you know, suicide and stuff. Oh, <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah. Well, if you commit suicide, you can't keep paying your tithing. So of course, yeah, yeah. we're just going to skip They don't want you that. to do that. Yeah. Yep. Anything else you guys want to say about that, that Bishop interview scene? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hearing about a stake president all over the place right now. Have you seen the stake president? Oh, in, in episode four? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. I'm looking forward to that one. Okay. Yeah. I'd like to watch it right now. Yeah. Well, how many, I have a question. How many bishops or other leaders told you about the shelf, like to put it on the shelf as a uh, yeah. solution when you have a doubt or you have something that's a sticky issue that specifically say shelf? Yeah, that's a, that's a contrivance. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, yeah. they're they're doing that to set up some things that get paid off in episode four and other places. Okay, because I'm going to tell you that I heard that phrase told to me. There's a really? thing kind they of like a shelf. to put it on the really? shelf? Really? Yes. Wow. Literal wow. shelf. Wow. <laughs> so I was just curious. I don't know if that's a, a common advice I, piece. I didn't hear about shelves until after leaving the church. So I, I maybe, they definitely maybe, existed. Maybe they talked about <laughs> it. Yeah. Maybe they talked about putting your doubts on a shelf before and it just like went over my head because I, I didn't have any frame of reference to any reason to pay attention to it but just a saying a silly yeah. saying <laughs> yeah I, I i hadn't thought about like having doubts that are on a shelf until i heard other people talking about it like way maybe after i just I had a lot of doubts and so they're like we have to figure out something to tell her so did you did you ask your bishop about those doubts just i'm just curious oh, for sure see okay. okay this is where like i unlike ren i would spend hours just hanging out with bishops or whoever and just talking and talking. And I really got a good sense from a lot of them and specifically the ones, you know, towards the end where they were coming from. And that really helped me know what kind of questions to ask them or, you know, what feedback I could like expect, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I loved it. It was so fun. Yeah. I did not. I never asked oh, my bishop yeah. one thing about any doubts that I had. Except when I was leaving, I told him and he was great. He's like, yeah, everyone has different, you know, faith paths. I'm always fascinated by him. <laughs> that was about it. That's so, really nice. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was... I think the, the scene right after the Bishop interview, I think it's right after the Bishop interview, really um, kind of locked in place for me a theme of like the perpetuation of like uh, cycles of, of violence or cycles of uh, misogyny, um, but like how the bishop kind of tries to shut down Jeb, yeah, 
and then he has that conversation with his wife yeah and he's like i don't want to baptize these girls and she's like oh you will and he's like no i'm shutting this down with my priesthood right like <laughs> that really like i was like oh it was like a spiral of like you know how these mm. like behaviors and stuff get passed through people to other people and i was like it, it felt like at that moment our hero jeb had fallen because he too yeah. was a misogynist yeah, right <laughs> Je- jeb is also a misogynistic ass like he he's oh, he's gosh. part of the culture the soup that he grew up in the most unrealistic part of the show to date for me was after he shut down right like mm. after he shut down with his priesthood his wife rebecca is that her name was like still all turned on by him and was like you're that not would leaving this room yeah. that would never happen that, that would, would never, never happen fly. Like, <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah that that seemed very strange to me too and she she seems like a much more sexual mormon woman than any mormon woman i was ever with what the first episodes like 2 a.m she gets home and she's ready to go when he gets home from work after being gone all day speak for yourself glenn speak for yourself i i you know like we did we did divorce it was it was not uh, a a strong area you don't of need our to share details yeah <laughs> did you ever say yeah. before you kissed in the name of jesus christ no <laughs> <laughs> like like it was it reminded me of uncle jesse you know when he when he said have mercy it was like the same sort of thing like, in the name of jesus christ <laughs> no but but there were a few times when i would I, I would either do the Hosanna shout or I would use handkerchiefs for, a, for something. It was one of those two. And I'll just kind of leave, leave it at that. <laughs> oh, man. I am dying. Died. Oh, boy. All right. Last, last thing. And, and then we'll just kind of see if there's anything else you guys want to talk about. But the way that the episode ends... Brenda is hoping to recruit Diane to help the Lafferty boys off their wicked path. And I was just wondering, like, how, how well do you think that's going to go? What, what do you think? What do you think they're setting up there? Did you, did you, okay, first of all, I want to jump back a little bit. The yeah. fight scene in the parking lot with the Oh, dad, oh with Ammon and like, yeah. And, oh, that was, go ahead. <laughs> I was cracking up. It was hilarious. But then I thought, okay, well, this is crazy. Like I'm laughing, but what if this is real? Like people do this, yeah. they get in fights with their dad. But anyway, I was, I was it laughing just... at the old timey, like fist that he put on. He looked like <laughs> he was at like the 1920s, you know? Yeah. And, and that went on for like a while. So I don't know. I think they're a rough bunch to tame. I don't think that's. I, I, they should have done a whole episode, a whole episode with Ammon boxing Ron. Just, <laughs> I don't watch that. Have you ever witnessed like an adult human like you know violently discipline another adult human in real life i've like, seen them yeah. put them in their place like verbally, yeah yeah but, but that like not physically will I've smith seen... slapped chris rock yeah, yeah that was that was one but like <laughs> have you have you read i've seen like i've seen older teen boys get violently like disciplined or they're pretty much you know like adult men almost right and uh boy that is so awkward just to, yeah, like yeah. watch like a somebody spank an adult person it's like what are you what are you what are we all doing here this what's going on yeah oh. and, and to me that was just another example of their like mental illness that is just perpetuated throughout their family you know just mm-hmm. like, yeah using a, violence abuse using and, violence to yeah, fix abuse. a problem yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's crazy 
but yeah, I don't think they'll be successful in whatever Brenda tries to accomplish there. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler. Yeah. I, I think she dies actually in the show. <laughs> I'm not laughing. I feel bad on it. So her, her sister has been on the, like the Sunstone uh, group for, for the mood, for the show. I don't know if you guys oh, know Brenda's, that. Brenda's sister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, you can tell this is absolutely painful for her. Oh, yeah. oh thanks for have, making me feel like really yeah, shitty just, for that I, joke. Well, I, just I, made. It's, I you needed to. When you Thank said you that, I'm laughing. So I'm, I'm just saying, like, I have to keep in mind that this is to us, real it's people. kind of like an entertainment thing. But yeah, for her, is like a real life person she loved, and it, and I can't imagine how painful that would be. Um, but she, you know, she seems to be taking it. Okay. I mean, as well as she could. Well, yeah. that was like the the Mark Hoffman uh, documentary that came out last year that uh, Jared Hess. Murder, murder, murder Among the Mormons. Mormons. Yeah, yeah, Murder Among the Mormons. Um, same thing. Like the documentary lots of times was super lighthearted and like had lots of funny parts and stuff. And I remember hearing some of the, the uh, reactions from family members of the murders that were like, yeah, this is still super hard, but... That's just, it's, I don't know, it's part of the art form and telling of everything, you know, it's understandable. Okay, now I just feel like an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Um, yeah. So there was a funny scene, or at least it struck me as super funny when I watched it and I was not expecting it. When, like, during the scene where they were at the cabin, and there was like the, you know, the potential shootout or whatever. Um, and then there was, there was the wife, or there was like the wife, the mom of the little girl who was asking Pyrie Jeb about like his beliefs and everything. And then she asked him specifically, well, do you keep your covenants? Yeah. Like before he can respond, uh, Bill, Detective Bill jumps in. He's like, he probably does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was just like so deadpan and it was honest, true. He's like, well, yeah, he probably does keep all his covenants. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I laughed for like two minutes straight after that. There's so many like little things oh. like that. Like Eagle when he goes, Scout. Exactly. Yeah. Gonna, <laughs> Eagle Scout, thank you very much. You know, like, oh yeah, I've done that. Correction. I mean, yeah. I, I put Eagle Scout on my resume for the longest time until I went, hey, nobody cares about this. <laughs> I'm an Eagle yeah. Scout. It's a real accomplishment, you guys. It's because you were told as a kid, like if yeah. it's a real accomplishment. <laughs> that was one of those things I was always told was going to be like some some employer will ask you about this. Exactly, yeah. same thing, Glenn. And then I was well, like, I th- never, never once. I thought the beginning of him just like creeping in there, and then he says a prayer, but you notice he has his garments on, so he's good. He's mm. safe, but like all the protection he needs, <laughs> it's going to fit that little extra prayer in there. Yeah. Did you right. notice the uh, like all the little like kid handprints on like the Ooh, cop car? children of the corn? Or yeah, whatever. That's... like feral children running around. It really reminded me of my creepy. childhood. Creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I love going to abandoned cars and just checking them out and see if there's any coins in the little ashtray. Yeah. All right. Any okay. final <laughs> comments to wrap it up? Yes. There's one that I want to make that has been going around kind of my feminist-ish group of Mm. friends that really resonated. And when I watched it too, my husband had fallen asleep and I was just like, oh, 
this is so true. Uh, it's when Alan was in the jail and he's being questioned and he gives this quote and I'm just going to read it. He goes, our sweet wives all being told that by having children, that would somehow make them more holy, more mm. righteous. Lately, I've started to wonder, isn't that just another surrender that we push them into in the name of God? I certainly didn't see it like that at the time that I was building Brenda a new cage, yeah. a prison. Like that is summarizing mm. so well the feelings that you can't put into words when you're in that. <laughs> like, yeah. and, and that really, I, it struck a chord because it's, it feels true to lived experience. And it's one of those things too, like at the end when he's saying, like, I didn't know it at the time. I believe that, you mm. know, when I, I look at, you know, my husband or, you know, other people that have been through similar things, you don't know until you know, and you know, it, it does, it gives you a different lens to look at all this through. But I thought that was pretty, pretty good. That makes me sad. Sorry. For, I know for a lot of reasons to, to, have that experience to feel that way to get, because it, it just sounds like it's, it's a position of powerlessness. It is. And just like frustrated with just like in, inability to make any changes. You're just kind of stuck. Well, and I know this is true for both, you know, men and women, anyone, especially in a structure, you're given a box, you're given a set of expectations, and you know them, you've practiced them, you check with so and so and you look over the fence, you know, if you're hitting the marks or not. And that it's just a, it's kind of a hamster wheel of just perpetual. <laughs> I don't know, am I good enough all the time? Mm. Um, but hearing that said out loud in the show, especially as, you know, the viewer is, is rooting for Brenda and watching her character kind of make her way through all this craziness, it, it does, it adds a layer of, okay, like this is, she has all this stacked up against her and she is still showing up, you know, like that's really, that's something. Yeah, that uh, Lance Black, when he was talking on that Radio West interview, you know, he was, he was really talking about how he wanted to make this a story as a, a tribute to Brenda mm. and like uh I think I see that in episode three like her character really starting to shine because just like you're talking about Jess like she knows that this is like a box but she's still gonna face it with like a lot of bravery and gonna try to like change it she's gonna try to like you know practice her agency and that's a really brave thing to do and i i was really like you know i, I could really see that coming through in this episode good do you think the wedding the temple scene was a set or was the real deal do you think they filmed it <laughs> a set. they bought they bought a temple oh, it's a and, set. i'm sure it's they a just set. Yeah. I can't imagine that they were given permission by the Mormon church to go and film inside of a temple. Yeah. Well, not inside. I mean, on oh. the steps, because there's that scene oh. where they're taking the. Oh, I thought you meant, oh, that temple scene. <laughs> I you <laughs> on the, the outside. Okay. Um, I bet you that was a set too. Yeah, I think that was a set. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because isn't the temple under construction right now anyway? The like, temple? Yeah. I should say the Salt Lake Temple. Yeah. But... One of my... Uh, 
one of my older brothers got married in the Salt Lake Temple and uh, I was like five or something and we went there and it was the first time I'd like physically gone to like a temple and you know everybody's always talking about it and I thought to myself if I touch the stone of the temple God will give me superpowers so I like <laughs> slowly like reached out and touched the temple and then I didn't get superpowers but yes you did Ren you, you were like the <laughs> woman touching the hem of Jesus's garment, like <laughs> pulling the superpowers from him. I think you just don't recognize your superpowers yet. We felt them. They're there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you, you guys. It's been fun to talk about episode three of Under the Banner of Heaven with you. I look forward to talking with episode four about it with you. Love it. Love it. Good. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore Lay down the weapons that you use against the world We don't need another war Put down the weapons that you use against yourself you Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Dashley, And I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com And if you really like what you hear Give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts float past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic. So we can